0: This podcast was brought to you by Supersound.
1: Supersound.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Whip Beyond Measure. I'm Anthony Murray, and I'm joined by Neil Scott. Hello, Neil. Hi, Anthony. How's it going? Very good. And Dr. Richard Baker. How is it going, Richard? Good evening, Anthony. How are you? It's superb. Brilliant. But we're starting. little little change I'm springing on the guests. We're starting with a game. Okay. okay. We all know the whole world is playing Wordle, right? Uh, I'm getting increasingly stressed by students in my school league, obviously cheating. Uh, that was a mistake I made at the start. Yeah, yeah. You assume that every child is is not corrupt. but You forget that the the children of rich people probably spoiled, probably entitled, probably turn a blind eye to cheating. How else are you going to get to a position of privilege unless you cut a few corners, Anthony? Well, oh, I, I, I mean, I, I teach them a tale of two cities, the Dickens book, and I think that everyone's a Charles Darnay. Charles Darnay is, you know, a, a French aristocrat that turns his back on the wicked mm-hmm. ways of the ancien French regime. But apparently, they're not Charles Darnays. They're all Don Don Juniors, basically.
2: It always irritates me that at the end of A Wonderful Life, you guys have both seen A Wonderful Life, right? Uh-huh. I know what it is. Yeah. So so there's the the scene where all the townspeople come and bail out Jimmy Stewart. And that's when he sort of realises how wonderful his life is. But the old cranky rich guy who stole 10 grand of him, off him, has no comeuppance at the end of the film. He walks away (laughs) with the cash, even richer than he was before. No one figures out that he's he's the villain of the piece.
0: I when, when, I wonder when the point in Hollywood history was where bad guys stopped getting their comeuppance? Because one of my favorite movies, Pinocchio. You know the guy that sells out Pinocchio. You know into the, you know to you know the, yeah, Honest John, who twice sells out Pinocchio. Twice he catches Pinocchio. Twice he sells him out. Once into a circus. Once to that wacky island where they turn into donkeys. Spoiler alert. And yeah, there's no bit in Pinocchio where you see Honest John get his comeuppance. so so i wonder because if they were to make that now there'd be a scene where honest john gets locked up
2: yeah you know even if it was sort of midway through the credits yeah you know you want that resolution that that villainy doesn't pay yeah
1: i mean to come back to your students anthony like how are you going to catch them out like there must be a way you can set up a kind of i mean maybe you can say i mean it's difficult isn't it because wordle comes out every night at midnight Uh, it's not like you can say right no one look at Wordle until 9am and then we'll all look at it together but I don't know if you're aware you know the URL changes on Wordle it now takes you to the New York Times yeah yeah I noticed that but if you haven't refreshed your page or something like that like there's still this elite of people that can still access the original website that are getting different words the website is set up and so today I mean, obviously, by the time this goes out, this yeah. will be a few days out of date. Today's word, spoiler alert, was aroma, but the actual one on the Wordle website, if you hadn't refreshed your cache, was something like I don't know, it's like it's like mango. I didn't know it was like something. I can't remember what it was, but like uh, it sounded a bit like it was a, had the similar letters. So yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there is a rule in the league that children or anyone who gets a five. You know that five points is you know you're answering two. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoever gets that has to provide evidence, a screen grab. Now I have demanded a screen grab for fours. That's a guess in three on days when the average score was way down near the twos. Do you know I mean? How are you getting such an above average score when the word is kind of weird? But you know people, people are using different browsers, different IPs. There's all kinds of ways to cheat. It's very frustrating.
1: I'm going to blow your ask.
0: mind. I'm going to blow your mind. There is
1: a website where you can construct your own wordles. Uh, so you could, you know, lay it on them at 9am oh. with your own word, as obscure
2: as you like, and then see how well they do with that. I just say you're teaching them a bigger lesson. You know, they can cheat. Yeah, they can right. cheat. Yeah, <laughs> right. days. You can be honest,
0: John. <laughs> you can be that dirty bastard from It's a Wonderful Life yeah. uh, who runs away with the pot. Yeah, yeah uh, that that might be the lesson that's getting taught. Anyway, each week in the podcast from now on, we're going to start off with a similar to Wordle game, but with a different silly pun title, okay? So today, the game is Girdle. Okay. Right? right. You have to take, i turn, I've written down the name of a fat celebrity, okay? Neil, you'll go first, then Richard, and we'll, we'll guess. You just, just say the name, you know, it's not... Twenty questions. You just have to name fat celebrities until we get the fat celebrity that is in my uh, app. This is this fat by contemporary standards, or fat uh, by she's a very um, contemporary. Ah, damn, I said she. Uh, <laughs> they, they are uh, a contemporary <laughs> celebrity. I think I think you might be able to guess who they are. But Neil, go first. Fat mm. celebrity for Girdle. Michelle McManus.
2: No. Richard. Uh, all the ones I think of who aren't fat anymore. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, this one Michelle still M- is M- fat. I, I looked her up. Um, who's, who is fat?
0: What I'm intrigued by is Richard, do you know who Michelle McManus is? X-Factor. All oh, right, okay,
2: sorry. Yeah. I, I
0: thought it was a very Glasgow-centric one. Neil. Had it wasn't particularly there. contemporary, was it?
2: <laughs> no. Um, Dawn French.
0: Dawn French, no. Right, I'll give you a clue. She's in the news today, or certainly the last two days. Lorraine Kelly. Is Lorraine Kelly? Was she ever fat? I
1: think there was a news story about her saying that she'd put on a few
0: pounds over lockdown. All right, it's not Lorraine Kelly. right, Richard. Next guess.
2: Um, Who's been in the news today? Yeah. So it's not one of Prince Andrew's victims, is it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Edit edit, edit that out. (laughs) Is it uh, Gemma Collins?
0: Who's Gemma Collins?
2: She's quite famous. She's in uh, The Only Way is Essex. All right, that's she's like that's, she's like niche. she's our Michelle McManus. <laughs> right, okay, I, well, I don't know who she is, right?
0: Neil, uh, she's in the news today, uh, uh next to three uh, two other women. There's a little clue, I
1: think. I mean, fat yeah.
0: American comedian Amy Schumer.
1: Ah, uh, Amy fat.
0: Schumer's not fat, she's kind yep, of middle,
1: she she's
0: not fat, yep, she is not by contemporary standards. People too are fat, big, too now. fat for me, too fat for me. Uh, that's, that's that's body shaming mr murray oh definitely yeah. absolutely but she, she's also not funny and a gag thief by all accounts well so. gag thief that's a more serious charge yeah okay you're allowed to be fat but you're not allowed to steal jokes okay and that was girdle <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do another game sweet. um robin williams was a famous gag thief right yes and he claimed he was so high on drugs that he didn't know what he'd seen and what he hadn't seen so when he replicated other people's material on stage that was his excuse and he was famous if basically if you went up to him in a comedy club and said you stole my joke he'd like whip out you know his wallet and give people 100 bucks (laughs) all right you know i've I've got all that doubtfire money you know i can
2: (laughs) i can like pay a penance for my gag theft i'm just gonna ask that how do you know in the world of comedy? Because there's only so much subject matter and people must end up just end coming to the same routine independently. Yeah. How do you know when somebody's genuinely nicked a joke and how when is it just they've had the same idea?
0: I guess there,
2: it's a bit like the world
0: League. It's, you know, self, self-policing. self uh, The situation would be, I think, once or twice I did a bit on a stage and someone came to me at the end of the show and said, oh, that that sounded like something someone else said. I think one time I just kind of, I was so convinced in my own originality that I just, I I kept with it. Another time I was like, ah, right, if this arsehole's doing this joke, it must be a shit bit, you know, and I I abandoned it. But yeah, that's the only way you could say, you could, you could take it on the chin or you can, uh, you know, claim ownership of it. But yeah, it's inevitable that people, people do this now. It's interesting to think how much it's the style of the
1: comedian and how they tell it that makes the difference. Because I remember Stuart Lee saying, oh, you know, I've stolen this joke from Simon Munnery and I've given him some money for it or something like that. But they're very, well, they're slightly different comedians and it does feel like a different joke when (laughs) when one tells it and the other, you know, when the other does. So uh, I would hope that, you know, when I think of a comedian, I don't think of
0: jokes, I think of style. Yeah. think of like what is this person like But like R- R- Stuart Lee doing Michael McIntyre running around a stage mm. is much funnier than Michael McIntyre running around a stage uh, I don't know if that would be a good or a bad example uh, but talking about people running around <laughs> Richard you stayed up the other night to watch the world's biggest event, basically capitalism's FA Cup final, the, the Super Bowl what are your thoughts?
2: On the event or the game itself? All of the above. All of the above. So the the game, it was an interesting juxtaposition of sort of the decaying rural heartland in that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals took on the Los Angeles Rams, uh, the LA Rams who were up until five years ago, the St. Louis Rams. Yeah. But that in which, our childhood, they were also the L.A. Rams. They were they? the L.A. Rams, and their owner had fallen out with L.A. and moved them to St. Louis. And he was basically holding the city of St. Louis to ransom and saying, if you don't uh, build me a new stadium, then I'm going to take my very expensive toy somewhere else, which he did. This is the wonderful Stan Kroenke, who's also uh, owns Arsenal. Ah, moved- right,
0: that guy. I didn't yeah. realise
2: that. Yeah. And he moved them to, uh, to Inglewood, which is a neighbourhood in... Um, Los Angeles built the world's most expensive sports stadium. I think it was nearly five billion. Okay. Uh, but um, but the Rams, yeah, they're the only only the second team to win a home Super Bowl. The first time was actually last year when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did it. Oh, and, wow. it was, and it was a, it was a it was an odd game really because it was basically who would stop being crap first in the second half. <laughs> it was it was a very tight game, and then both. The way, they, yeah, to use the, the correct terminology, both offenses, so both points where the teams get the ball, take in turns out have the ball to, to either run it or throw it to try and score touchdowns or even field goals, and they were both completely inept in the second half. But eventually, the Rams did finally manage to uh, to do so, and uh, and won the game. Okay, so now that
0: we know that the home team always wins the final, do we know where next year's final is, and can we
2: lump in on it? If
0: we, I see a pattern emerging.
2: Uh, I don't know where it is. I need to. Uh, I need to check where next year's is going to be. It's usually a warm location. That's one of the things. But they came in in the early days of the NFL in like the 1930s and 40s. They decided they should have a championship match. Yeah. And the attendances for it were always rubbish because it was always somewhere like in you know like Chicago or
0: yeah, in the winter. In, yeah.
2: in, in the middle of the winter. So when the two leagues joined in the 60s, they decided that the final between the, the National Football Conference and the American Football Conference would take place in a in a hot weather location or an indoor state. They sometimes play in domes. Yeah. Uh, but that's why it's usually somewhere like Arizona or Tampa or, or L.A.
0: Okay. So with uh, there was a late winner, so to speak, wasn't there?
2: Yeah. So essentially, people might know Odell Beckham Jr. He's quite a famous name in NFL. Yeah. He plays for the Rams. He went. He had a great start to the game. He went out injured in the first quarter. So oh, right. the, at the at the end, the Rams only had sort of one decent receiver left, a guy called Cooper Cup, which is a good name, um, fantastic player. And basically, they decided to go all in on this guy, Cooper Cup. And whatever happened, they were just going to throw the ball to him and and put pin their hopes on him. And he delivered. Uh, essentially, it was basically they just did the same thing every time. Like the quarterback threw it to this guy for 10 straight plays and yeah. every time he got it and, and, and won the game. It was one of those moments sort of like where great players step up in that moment and, and deliver. And then the Bengals did have a brief chance to come back, but uh, another great player on the Rams, a guy called Aaron Donald, basically uh, went and tackled the quarterback and uh, and took the ball off them and uh, won the game.
1: Were you watching the US broadcast of this as it went out or was this some kind of UK version? Because the, the thing I always hear about the Super Bowl is the adverts, the halftime show, the commentary, you know, like these are the kind of the thing, the cultural artifacts that people kind of pin their, um, you know, their kind of like cultural knowledge of
2: the event on, rather than the details of who was playing and who scored. Uh, um, Well, I I actually watched it on the BBC, so no adverts for me. Just, just obviously, a lots of uh, space to fill with uh, analysis and all the rest. And occasionally, I flicked on uh, to to skies to see what they were chatting about. But it's one of the things you miss. You're right, as you watch it in the UK, the uh, the adverts. But you do get the halftime show, which is you one of do the, get the huge moments. Show. Yeah.
0: All right, cool. And it was all classic hip hop, wasn't it? It's interesting to these these songs from our late adolescence, maybe university years, are now like. Well, they are. They're they're 22 years old and they're considered classical music, almost like yeah, still exactly. Dre by Dr. Dre. And stuff. It's like, wow, these these. I remember the old ones.
2: Yeah, they're sort of like Mary J. Blige getting wheeled out to, to join them and sort of they're doing a they're doing a parody of In the Club. And you think, okay, well, is In the Club worthy of parody? Um, it, it it was, but it was it was great actually. And I don't. Eminem turned up as well. I'm not entirely yeah. sure why he did, but uh, but he, he was there um obviously lose yourself is one of like, the ultimate sports anthems if, like, yeah. in the last 10 years you know that like, you always like hear that that's played at stadiums and the rest so that uh, was actually pretty good i think it was one of the better hal- halftime shows i've seen in the last 10 years i was actually uh, just the
0: other week uh, the footballer uh, james mccarthy you know glasgow born played for ireland grew up a celtic fan there was a situation where it looked like he was, you know, he's not very good and he's not contributing anything to Celtic's quite good season. Uh, but it looked like at one point he was going to have to play against the Rangers uh, two weeks ago. And I thought, you know, he's just going to be sitting listening to Eminem's Lose Yourself. You know, this is your one chance, chance to shine, your know, chance to step up, become a hero. Uh, I, I don't think he even got off the bench. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen for him, yeah, but we won the game, so... I, once, this history.
2: I was once playing a seven-a-side game uh, where we used to turn up beforehand and usually catch up with, with, uh, over a beer before, <laughs> before the game started. High level. This is high level. And then this uh, somebody invited a, an American friend along who sort of played sem- semi-seriously. And while we were sat sort of drinking beers, he was out doing shuttle runs <laughs> with, uh, with the big headphones on, <laughs> warming up. And I like to think he was listening to uh, to Lose Yourself or something similar, as he sort of, after about 30 seconds of warming up, he suddenly stopped and looked at the rest of us and said, is anybody else going to warm up here? <laughs> we're, like, no, we, we good. we're good, yet. we're good, we <laughs> To be fair, it was Brazil, so they were small, small ice-cold cans.
0: Ah, right, so this was in Brazil. It must be an interesting place. it was, so it was a, like a sort of British five-a-side complex, but everyone's a genius, or...? No, because most of them aren't that
2: good at football. That's some, it. Some of them are the really good. It's a myth. Some of them are really good, but most of them aren't that great. It was sort of a bit of an expat game. Uh I think you played in similar, right? In Bratislava, where people sort of yes. it's a friend of a friend and it's just a regular pickup game. Yeah.
0: When, play. when play. I finished the reason how I ended up playing sort of, you know, sixth division Slovak League was I got recruited from a game of futsal. So someone saw me, you know, at a small, you know, small sided game and tapped me in the shoulder and was like, Well, you're you're better than most people. Can you come and play for my club? So I did for a couple of years. But then, you know, when the knee went, I, you know, I retired. And I thought, I'll return to that small-sided game. And I went for a couple of weeks to the futsal. And then one day, some like Chilean or Colombian lad took a dive. <laughs> like a genuine big like dive and like, yelled for a you know, foul or a penalty. And I was like half a meter off him. And I just said, fuck this. And I walked off. You know, it was a real scene. Everyone was like, "Oh no, stay, stay, stay!" And I was just like, "Nah, my football career is over. I'm done. I'm not. I'm not being a victim of dives. I'm off, and I, I never returned. I still miss football, but that was a that was a great way to go out. He wasn't thing-
1: your ball. You couldn't actually take the ball with you no. and like storm off with the ball because that would have been better. That would have been better. Yeah.
2: The one bit missing from that story is the referee standing behind you with a big red card. <laughs> <laughs> The one good thing about Brazilian five-a-side complexes is, is that you can actually make a living there as a goalkeeper because Brazilians hate going in goal so much. Oh, so that, does everyone. Yeah, but there will actually be a, like usually a couple of blokes who sit around with a pair of gloves who will just go and go in goal for like the equivalent of a like, a tenner. Even a in the age side.
1: of Allison and Edison, that seems they, like they seem to
2: be doing pretty know. well. Yeah, I don't know how they came about. I think they must have made money as young teenagers. Other than that. Or they are, I mean, you look at Edison, he could basically play midfield. Yeah. So I think he might have come across to Europe and got shifted in goal. I can't explain Edison and Alisson because before that, it's just been a century of shitness in terms of Brazilian goalkeepers. Even Taffarel, that we, yeah. we enjoyed Taffarel. But, you know, take him out of that Brazilian team, put him in the goal for Galatasaray. You see how average he is. Yeah. And then when Julius Cesar had a season at QPR and was essentially a traffic cone, you <laughs> just did realise how bad they were. He'd won a European Cup with Inter, though, hadn't he? He had. He had yeah. Bizarre. Not ter- He was. Well, he was in goal in the uh, 2014 World Cup, wasn't he? Who was?
0: Ah, there's a good bit of uh, pub trivia. Who, who was the World Cup winning keeper in 2002? Dida. No. No. There's a guy called Marcos. Oh, I was
2: at Marcos.
0: Yeah. Again, they just, they just, they just,
2: shit. <laughs> yeah, they usually don't do anything. That's the thing. Yeah.
0: True.
2: Even Taffarel's famous for not actually saving in a penalty shootout you know Baggio just blazed it over but he did save Berezi's he did save Berezi's no no did he he saved Massaro's he saved
0: Massaro's Berezi might have skied his as well I don't think he makes a save in that shootout I think he saves Massaro's Ivani scores and Albertini scores
2: who misses for Brazil then
0: Uh, Dunga scores Branco scores Romario scores is Babetto Marcio Santos was saved by uh, Paluga. By jean Jean-Luca Paliuca. Memories of the 1994 World Cup <laughs> final from <laughs> Whit Beyond Measure. Uh, so that was when we were young. Yeah, we were young men. Or in 1984, we would have been 13, 12, 13, 14, the peak of our powers. But now we're adults, behaving like adults. Richard's here, sipping bourbon like a grown-up. What kind of bourbon is it, Richard?
2: It's Woodford Reserve.
0: Is that from America or is this some kind of British bourbon?
2: No, that's, I'm going to get in trouble, but I think it's Kentucky. So bourbon is obviously slightly different to whiskey. Okay, I'm going
0: to, I'm going to bill it as bourbon is shit American whiskey. Convince me otherwise.
2: Well, it's almost more closer to how it would have been drunk in Scotland and Ireland several hundred years ago, because it was essentially a lot of Scots and Irish settled in that area and brought a lot of the old distilling techniques over with them, which were then perfected, obviously, by <laughs> uh, a, uh, let's say, poorly paid labor force. Um, but I like it because it's a, I, I like the smoke. Is that a it's slavery possible. joke? <laughs> well, this is, they, they, wasn't there that big thing recently about Jack Daniels and how they changed their marketing to reflect. And I forget the chap's name, but essentially Jack Daniels had a uh, a, a brewmaster or a whiskey master, a black whiskey master who right. I think he was originally a slave, but then was freed and then stayed okay. with Jack Daniels. I'm not sure exactly the exact story of it, but there was a whole kind of controversy about Jack Daniels recently. Yeah. But Jack Daniels is Tennessee whiskey rather than bourbon. And I forget the exact definition of what makes one or the other, but oh, right. I, like, yeah. I like it because it's sort of a lot smokier than Scottish uh, whiskey which uh, makes me probably a heretic in your eyes. Oh, definitely. Neil, any whiskey thoughts?
1: Smokier than Scottish whiskey. I mean, what about like the peaty ones or the...
2: Yeah, so I'll go with it. If I'm going for Scotland, I'll go for something like a Jura. Right. Uh, Yeah, the peatier ones. But a lot of the single malts leave me a bit cold. Neil, get any great historical facts about the island of Jura?
1: I've never been to Jura, but um, I think it was one of the Western Isles that, Dr. Johnson and uh, and Boswell visited on their tour of the Western Isles. Uh, I don't know if they drank much
0: whiskey at the time. It's where George Orwell wrote 1984, Mm. and was close to death at the time. Tuberculosis. Oh, dur fact, we're full of them. Okay, (laughs) so we don't have a lot more on whiskey, (laughs) but we we have grown up, and we're trying to get the point we're trying to get to is a discussion about kiddles. Neil, what's a kidult?
1: Uh, well, um, a kidult is an adult who spends their time under, you know, undertaking cultural things that are traditionally associated with children. So we're living in a in an age when superhero movies, which were traditionally read in comic books by preteens, uh, are now like the central kind of cultural artifact of our time, and um, you know, I think, uh, you know, talk about whiskey. One of the things about whiskey is it's it's like an acquired taste. Mm. You know, you actually have to, you know, learn a bit about it and try it a few times, accommodate your senses to this kind of strange, strong tasting thing. But it seems to me that we're living in a time where people actually just prefer to indulge in, you know, let say everyone seems to wear kind of jogging pants and, yeah you know, like uh, yoga clothes. It's essentially going around town in your pyjamas at this point. Uh, No one, you know, dresses up anymore, wears a tie or anything. We're kind of, we've lost all of those signals and signs of adulthood that were, you know, previously quite cool. You know, it seems to me that since the sixties, at least we've we've become obsessed with teenagers and what teenagers like, and that's kind of infested infected everything. And I guess, I mean, it got brought up this subject on the Whitby Measure chat, because you, Anthony, right, have realised that the Manic Street Preachers are no longer your go-to band, right? Like, and, and you've kind of had to give, give them up.
0: Well, there's a story about it. I mean, I, I was a huge Manic Street Preachers fan. Back in the 1990s, American listeners, uh, the Manic Street preachers were. Uh, they're just a, a, a Welsh band from Britain, uh, from Wales. Sorry, they're just a band that I liked in my teenage years. N- uh, Richard, were you a big Manics fan? Not really. Not really. Neil, were you a big Manics fan? I never listened to the Manics. I
1: don't oh, know. Right. I, I remember seeing that interview where the guy cut his arm up, and I thought.
2: Mm. Oh, I uh, didn't mind. I didn't mind the Manics in terms of their music, but it annoyed me how gobby nicky wire was i thought he was more gobby than their music deserved deserved yeah right
0: uh but yeah, you know, like i say they do have a sort of cult following you know fans yeah. fans of the manics are huge fans and i was very much a huge manics fan in 90, 96 97 98 99 like i really was like, i was like a fundamentalist you know like like the biggest of their fan. Not, not the i wasn't going around with a feather boa or makeup but i was i was a you know a bit of army surplus was getting worn OK, the fact I'm wearing a khaki shirt today is a pure coincidence, guys. I have not lapsed back into my Manix phase. Uh, but I remember I, I was trying to, the, the Guardian did an article today about the 30 great Manic Street Preacher songs. Now, I, I basically haven't listened to them since 2003. Right. And I, I was trying to find out why did I go from being such a, a zealot, a Manix zealot to being such a kind of ashamed, almost embarrassed ex-fan. And I remember these, it came to me this afternoon when I was thinking about it, my first ever serious girlfriend, right? You can fill in the blanks there. First ever actual girlfriend, okay? I remember trying to introduce her to the Manic Street Preachers. She was an American girl, and I said, oh, you've got to listen to this. And she, like, listened to, like, ten seconds. She was like, this is shit. You know, it really, oh, this is rubbish. And I'd be like, oh, well, listen to this one skipping through, you know, I don't know, Generation Terrorist or whatever it was, and just, just her being like, this is, these are like show tunes. This is rubbish. The fact that she said that was genuinely witty, and I just, but I just remember being utterly humiliated by it, because she did this sort of jazz hands dance and kind of implied that the Mannix were like this Broadway show, and it just undermined my understanding of the Mannix so absolutely that I was like, all oh, right, she must be right. I'm never listening to these arseholes ever again. And that was it.
1: They definitely are a band that has strong tribal allegiance. And you've you've suggested that you were wearing the kind of uniform. Um, Not at
0: the time. This was a couple (laughs) of years later. Uh
1: but it is that I think it's very important with those bands that you have a sense of belonging um through listening to them. But I mean they are quite shouty. But what I want to know is what music was she into? Oh,
0: that's a great question. Elliot Smith. She was a big Elliot Smith fan. Elliot Smith's quite good.
1: (laughs) No? Uh, Well, both bands. Good,
0: good well, hunting soundtrack.
1: Both bands uh, contain people who, well, killed themselves. So you could have bonded over that. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. So talking of Doctor Johnson, he has this line which he says, "The lad does not care for the child's rattle, and the old man does not care for the young man's whore." And you know, like I think we've kind of lost that thing of like putting away childish things, like when do you make that transition away if it's not just being humiliated by your american yeah. girlfriend like yeah. is there some kind of natural time when you say right i'm i'm not into this like actually you know my whole music playlist is just full of these 90s bands guitar bands and you know all this stuff and i just listen to them now and think like oh, i've had enough and i don't know if it's just mm. i've listened to it too much or my tastes have changed or whatever, but I'd probably never
2: listen to a Sleeper album again. It's, I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. I don't think Sleeper have listened to a Sleeper <laughs> album again. I think there's a separation between a fetishization of youth and you were talking about how the emphasis on teen culture and do we need to uh, sort of be interested in what you know teenagers or 20-somethings are doing? Do we need to dress that way, et cetera? versus can we retain a space in our life for childish activities that give us joy or things that are perceived to be childish activities like i very much enjoy i loved star wars as a child and i love watching the show the the kind of new shows that disney do on, on star wars now i'm not about to go on a message board and spend four hours afterwards deconstructing exactly what the episode four of the mandalorian means but i'll quite happily on a wednesday night spend 45 minutes sort of just being lost in that world for uh, for a bit so i think it's this sort of separation it's not part of my identity it's very different from my life as a uh, my professional life or my life as sort of a husband or father but it's it it's childish escapism Uh, uh, as and is there not space for that as we grow older
0: i agree with you richard but I, i i mean i guess my my pivot on the manic street preachers was you know long ago and pretty severe, I would never have thought I would have abandoned the Star Wars, you know, world because, you know, that that's one of the things that we would have bonded on when we first met. You know, that is something we have in common. But in a, in a sort of post, not not prequels, because I, I got really excited about, you know, The uh, the Force Awakens and I genuinely enjoyed it at the cinema and I went to see all the other ones. But now I feel in a, a post-Mandalorian world, I I do feel I've grown out of it. You know, I just feel like this is, I'm broke. This, this, there's a disconnect here. I, I've stopped enjoying this. It just feels like it's the equivalent of John Favreau sitting with a Boba Fett toy and a Han Solo toy and smacking them together like a child, going meow meow, but with a forty million pound budget. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it because it's almost what I would do. If I had those two toys and a forty million pound budget, and I'm not quite John Favreau, but I think he sort of comes from a similar fandom place. Right. So for me, those shows are they're quite different to um, to the films, which I think are, are designed for a more general audience. Uh, uh,
0: listeners can't see me right now. I'm just writing down next week's girdle, John Favreau. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I think I think um, coming back to the manic Street preachers, uh, you know, and bringing them into Star Wars. I mean, not as a cantina type band, because, you know, you wouldn't be able to hear what anyone's saying with that guy, James Dean Bradfield, shouting over the top as he does. But, but but you know, it is a tribal thing. And so, yeah, you're not on a forum. You're not a kind of YouTube blogger, vlogger, you know, talking about all the nuances of the what's the the one, the baby Yoda and all these things, oh, you know, man. like all these kind of weird like memes that people start talking about but it is a tribal identity and you know there is like millions of these guys out there with toys still on their you know windowsill yes. trying to kind of um find some meaning i mean yeah i guess i'm i'm thinking about like what is it that motivates us to to go for escapism and what were the escapist things in the past so the example I use is like a hundred years ago, before the invention of the teenager, where you went from being a child to being a man, somehow initiated through work or war or something like that. You had writers like Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Like I was wondering, like, what is their equivalent of escapism? And what would their novels look like if people were like, oh, no, I can't I can't hang out at the mansion this weekend. There's a really good
0: episode of uh, of uh, Loki on TV. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, they're brought up at a different time in that as well as a very serious upbringing. Hemingway would have been taught hunting. You know, there was that sort of wilderness existence as well as the relative middle-class existence of, you know, his dad was a doctor and I'm sure his house was pretty nice. But yeah, there there would be an acceleration of maturity, you know, combined with a a proper grown-up education, where I imagine the standards were probably quite high, you know, learning, I don't know, bits of Latin and long-form poetry and stuff. You know, nowadays I I ask a a child to remember the first line of A Tale of Two Cities and, oh God, how am I going to remember that? It's like... (laughs) You know, we have. I mean, not. I wouldn't necessarily say our generation. I didn't have to learn the longest quotations, but you know, our parents probably had to learn huge swathes of, you know, Shakespeare and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that's true, but that's what my whinging parents seem to suggest. I, I guess there is that thing of, you know, like hard
1: times create. What is it? Strong men. Strong men create good times. Good. Okay, easy time. So we're living in very historically easy times and it's it's quite easy to imagine that, you know, everyone will be living on virtual reality, you know, not you know, on their universal basic income, eating their packaged food. Like we don't have to hunt, we don't have to fight for our existence. It's all pretty well
0: fifty years into that experience we end up with Fight Club. And then twenty two years after Fight Club, where's it gone? Do you mean it's like, no, no, we won't go into a you know, the back room of a bar and leather shit out of each other and then basically become some kind of weird terrorists. We'll all just buy Wolverine toys and pin them to the wall and, you know, snap at nieces and nephews when they come to visit. How dare they try and open them and play with them?
2: Yeah. Is that a thing? I mean, you you're talking about great novels or things that are perceived as great novels from a hundred years ago. Is there an element of the barrier to entry in terms of disseminating culture in the a hundred years ago in order for something to have become widely known it would have had to have been backed pretty seriously by a publisher and then marketed and there, there was only so much scope for there to be famous famous writers of the, of the time so therefore the most famous books would be much more widely read than the most famous book today whereas today because it is so easy to push culture out there you know Spotify has you know, 100 million songs and growing how many people self-publish these days etc so there's a because it's that much easier to put culture out there and so much more to consume. Therefore, it just gets more spread out naturally. And you don't have those books that become the the kind of the the center of a national conversation in the way they might have done a hundred years ago.
0: There would have been a degree of pulp, that still existed. You know, there would have been dumb sci-fi and dumb cowboy stories, but the people consuming them who you are probably the equivalent of the, the Marvel fan today, would have been reading them and maybe sort of quasi-obsessed with cowboys. Maybe they'd have gone and bought some boots and a cowboy hat. But they wouldn't have spent the rest of their existence buying cowboy toys, making YouTube videos where they analysed it.
1: We definitely did have more gatekeepers in the past. I mean, I think it's been exactly 100 years since Ulysses was published. Yeah, And even though it was like a total failure 100 years ago, Um, It impressed enough important people that it kind of moved into the cultural conversation. It started getting taught in universities and, and it influenced a whole generation of people. I don't think we're quite in like a bottom up society where just the tastes of the general public have dominated over those of the kind of high minded gatekeepers who previously kept all the kind of yellow journalism and whatever you know, the scant, you know, I mean, there is still gatekeeping, right? Like, you know, people don't talk about, you know, things like pornography in polite society, right? Like, uh, there are some things that are excluded, even though they're really popular. I, I guess there's just a sense that to what extent are these things popular because they're what people like, versus the fact that these huge corporations, the Disney corporation is kind of like, it has so many eyeballs on it and it's kind of it's creating a conversation that people are responding to i don't know if there's any totally neutral aesthetic competitive ground i think the only way that works is over time like will anyone be watching these you know marvel films in a 100 years time probably not right they're kind of pretty
2: flimsy
0: yeah but by that point they will have recast iron man
2: Possibly twenty times. Yeah, they made it many, many more times. Yeah, you
0: know, at an age when the idea of an Iron Man flying around in a little jetpack suit is par for the course, you know, we'll all have our jetpack suits. Said the man that organised the start of the 1984 LA Olympics. Who's that? Where's that bullshitter? He's quiet these days.
2: He's getting ready for the 2028 uh, LA Olympics.
0: Well, they're gonna have a real jetpack by that point, like the one they sold us. Back then, horse shit. fucking liar. <laughs> Do you know I who the
1: new Iron Man is? I know I, I've been very dismissive of all this stuff, but I did find out yesterday who, who's gonna be the new Iron Man in this Doctor Strange um, film You're that's gonna consolidate all of the kind of different universes. Doctor Strange in the m- multiverse is gonna take all this intellectual property that's previously been put into Universal or Sony. Are the Whip Beyond Measure gonna be in this? <laughs> i mean we're we're part of that universe i think we're part of all the the multiverse at least but apparently according i mean you know i you know how...
2: i know i know somebody who was in the eternals wow. my uh my wife's was it Lu- uh, louise niece? nerding no my, my my uh my wife's niece wow was uh in a uh with well friend of the pod kumar nanjani he had a scene where he's got a load of backup dancers and uh yeah she was part of the dance troupe
0: so we are in the
2: the, the mcu yeah. slash
0: sony u whatever very tangentially yeah we are yeah, we are that was canon well, that's a double connection yeah, i did the gig with camille nanjiani you're literally related to a dancer yeah where's your connection neil i go to the gym like Camille nanjiani and take loads of steroids okay where's your where's your wacky jaw
1: that you're on about actually (laughs) apparently they have this thing mastic gum and you chew this like hard chewing gum thing and that gives you a big jaw so all right so it's a muscle uh yeah it's called mewing you do some mewing and you get a big jaw and uh yeah i'm not that interested in having a big jaw but
2: i don't know i have a theory that part of the popularity of the marvel films and it's not just marvel but obviously the dc stuff and you know star wars and star trek and just just the general massive blockbuster is in part a response to the fact that now that the streaming services are putting out more and more contemporary, their own content and almost contemporaneous content. So, you know, you can watch, I've watched a couple of films that have Oscar potential on like Netflix in the last couple of weeks. Mm. And so the fact that you can sort of, if it's a, that kind of, you know, a a film that you, you perhaps, yeah, that we all know the type, for mm. that, that generates oscar buzz tend to be something that tend to be a bit quieter a bit softer need to think of that bit, a little bit more about not necessarily the kind of event that you would need to see on a massive screen at cinema plus all our tvs are getting bigger too yeah. you know, so we can sort of replicate that experience so in order to and this this is sort of pandemic aside because the last two years have been very strange but it's become a thing that you go to the cinema for a big event. So therefore, you're more likely to go to the cinema for a huge Marvel blockbuster than you are to go and see like, Marriage Story you know, that you'd watch anyway and you've already paid for. So perhaps the reason why those these films are so become so high profile is the fact that they're just about the only thing that will drag us all out to the cinema these days.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a kind of theme park element to a lot of these films. Um, I, I do wonder, like, how societies initiate people into adulthood. I know that, like, in Judaism, they have things like the bar mitzvah, and like after that, you're an adult. And you know, you hear about these tribes where they'll take you hunting, or they'll cut some, you know, scar in your head, and that's, or you know, yeah, I, I don't know, various things. But like, what would it take to say to people, right now's time to put aside all this stuff?
0: become a real man how do you do it i mean i'm watching that i've started i'm trying to watch that show gamora you know the italian sort of gangster show and it's like i remember the film i quite enjoyed the film i've read the book and then the show's just kind of passed me by but now that i've got access to it i'm like oh you know some someone i know and like kind of vouched for it so i was like oh i'm gonna watch this and oh god i'm struggling with it because a lot of it's about this child gangster that's inheriting the throne. And I don't believe gangsterism can work like that. You know, it's not an, arist- it's not an aristocracy. You know, you, you, the, the bossy son can't just take over power because he's the bossy son. Surely it has to be a guy with charisma and power and violence. And obviously that's the way the story goes, but it wouldn't just be a case of, all oh, right, Richard, you're the boss, you're the godfather. Your progeny will be the next one in charge. And that yeah.
2: kind of macho-ness in this show, I can't buy it at all. Yeah, I'm with you. It's like sort of monarchy in the Middle Ages. Yeah, I've always said that if Prince Harry like comes back to the UK and stabs his brother through the heart, we'll have to respect that and say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are the king now. Yeah, <laughs> He'd have to stab <laughs> yeah. all the children as well. Yeah, by if, he law just did, of succession. If, if he just did a putch, yeah, and just one night went on a killing spree, took them all out and said, I'm the only one left. As a nation at that point, we'd have to say, fair dues, you're, you are the king. That's how that's how it works. Unfortunately,
1: the British have a a history of just saying, no, we're not going to have this king. I went up to Inverness a couple of weeks ago. I think I mentioned it. And, you know, there's a big museum exhibition about the Jacobites. And this like last battle that they, you know, they had on British soil. Um, And, uh, you know, he was the legitimate king, right? Like by laws of succession.
2: But the the parliament... but this is the point, this goes back to the to the mafia example. There is no law of succession. The law of succession is the most powerful person takes over. And in that case, the more powerful people put their person in charge. Two little asides here, just the, the
0: mention of the ideas of k- kings slaying kings. This week was the anniversary of Robert the Bruce killing the Red Common in Dumfries. Uh, and someone sent me a picture. An American friend must have seen it on some history Facebook group. Uh, you know, some sort of wood carving of that uh, murder in a church, pretty nasty stuff. And they sent me this and a little callback to last week's episode. The spot where Robert the Bruce killed the Red Common is now a Greg's. Oh. So <laughs> that's uh, did your, capitalism for you.
2: Did your museum, uh, Neil, do uh, have anything on the, the Jacobite line of succession?
1: Uh, it just mentioned that Bonnie, Prince Charlie, went back to France and became an alcoholic. Um, I don't know if they mentioned his son. or.
2: This maybe. is why it's, this is exciting for, uh, for, for fans of the Jacobite line of succession, because you can you can follow it all the way for the next uh, 300 years. Yeah, we got 1683, wasn't it? And um, the current heir on the Jacobite line, oh, what's his name? He's basically he's a prince of Liechtenstein. Yeah, but he was, but he was born in a Harley Street hospital, and he's the first in the 300-year line to have been born on British soil. <laughs> to many of us left-footers, he is the rightful heir, and uh, you know, when, when the time comes, and uh, you know, we have we have the next you know, Protestant-Catholic war on, on these shores, then uh, yeah, yeah, he'll be he'll be leading the hoops into battle. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm Prince, glad Prince, this is Prince, Prince Ludwig of Liechtenstein.
1: I'm glad this is not a Republican
0: podcast, but just a Jacobite one. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, we're pivoting. We're pivoting. Uh, I, I, I saw a weird thing in there. I was looking at a dictionary earlier today. What do you think the Spanish equivalent of James is? uh tiago diego tiago uh, all right it's just me that didn't know this i've spent my entire life thinking diego was george it's david isn't it oh now i'm learning all kinds of things uh but yeah i saw today that uh, diego is in the the oxford english dictionary and it is the spanish equivalent of james i was like all oh, right okay what oh, curveball i thought that was james like old james rodriguez you know always learning something <laughs> Okay. Another word that I stumbled upon in the dictionary today, which actually sort of be related to what we were just saying. The word wow. Where do you think the word wow comes from? Military. Wait on something or other. No, you Where um, do you
2: think
0: the word wow comes from?
1: I don't know, but I do know how to spell it in Spanish, which I'll, I'll tell you after you've told us where is, it comes isn't
2: from. Isn't it? I <laughs> I
1: in, in Spain, <laughs> they spell wow. G-U-A-U.
0: Like, wow. Wow. Wow!
1: <laughs> so Listeners
0: can't see Neil doing some a, brilliant tongue action there. His entire a, face transformed into a Spaniard. That's incredible eh?
1: I am top of my
0: <laughs> Duolingo
1: league at the moment, so I've only got five days to go, and I could be promoted to the
0: top top league so yeah, right So I'm your little not... owl is very happy.
2: Problem is, it's the Spanish Duolingo league, so there's only two players worthy of <laughs> consideration. <laughs> but it is currently filmed in 4K cameras you yeah. seen that La Liga
0: all the walk-on stuff <laughs> looks like a game of FIFA it's weird yeah. beautiful very cinematic the other bloke in Neil's league is only learning Catalan <laughs> <laughs> but the word wow Sorry. first first recorded evidence of the word wow Scotland in the 15th century how awesome is that someday I don't know what Scotland was like in the 15th century I guess the Reformation hadn't happened yet but some fisherman. oi doogie what is it Shuggy? <laughs> Today I caught a thousand cod. And he's like, wow, that's brilliant. And the other guy's like, what, What's that? What do you just use? I don't know. It just came out. Wow. We're using this from now on. And I wonder how long it took for the word wow to be used sarcastically for the first time. <laughs> it couldn't have
2: taken long. I think that I think you've already described it. <laughs>
0: you, you think you could catch a thousand cod? In the 1500s or 1600s or whatever the 15th century is?
2: How long do I have? One Actually, day. You probably, probably could. Both. They were probably so bounty, bountiful at that point that you just like wander out into the North Sea and just, <laughs> they'd be smashing into your legs. It has been <laughs> said so that
0: not it? Like the Columbus-style explorers would sail across the Atlantic and basically just be looking down at a sea full of fish. Yeah. But then, yeah, the Spanish said, oh, we're going to wipe these guys out over the next couple of years. And even when those fish hide in British waters, we'll go after them too. Am I right, Diego? (laughs) Some classic pre-Brexit anti-European racism. (laughs) Brought to you by Nigel Farage and Chums. I
1: was going to try and do a segue, but I haven't got one. So I'm just going to say it, which is, Anthony, we're talking of food. There you go, there's a segue. You mentioned that you have a kryptonite this week. What, what is it, your
0: kryptonite? Listeners might be able to see that I've got a way more energy this week than I had last week. And other listeners who, way back to episode one of the podcast, you know, 24 months ago, will remember that I had attempted potato salad for the first time, like homemade potato salad. And I, what I quickly learned over the last two years is whenever I have potato salad with loads of raw onions in it, it defeats me. It destroys me. It saps me of energy in a, in a way that I've now seen scientifically. When I make potato salad, my body turns into that of a 60-year-old and I convince myself age has finally got the better of me. You know, listeners will remember I was going to the gym all the time. Last week, didn't go to the gym. Couldn't find the will or the energy to do so. As soon as I get off the skag, the raw onions, the potato salad runs out, energetic young Anthony returns. So just like we laughed at Novak Djokovic and his fear of mighty white getting rubbed in his arms, I genuinely, onion is my kryptonite.
1: How are you sure it's not the potatoes or the mayonnaise or whatever else, the chives? Well, there's no
0: mayonnaise in it. it. What is it made of? Sour cream. I put sour cream in my But potatoes are fine. Potatoes are pure energy. I I eat potatoes all the time, and they're good. The common denominator in this experiment, because I'm a man of science, is the raw onions. When else do I ever eat raw onions? Never and they're the thing, and I've obviously Googled it. I've not just made up this raw onions, apparently, is Mr. Murray's kryptonite and nobody else on planet Earth. Apparently, raw onions is traditionally uh, an insomnia cure for some people.
1: Yeah, but I did doctors send you. and scientists
0: have identified this. This I, isn't just me.
1: I did send you a, an Ayurvedic questionnaire. I don't know if you've, you've completed that questionnaire, but there are three different body types um, in the Ayurvedic system. And onions is like one of the worst things for one of the body types. So what I wanted right. to do is like find out if you were that one.
0: Is it skinny fat? Is that what we're telling me? <laughs> skinny I think fat tawny, is going to get wiped out by the onions.
1: I think it's the pitta. They call it the pitta, like a like a pitta bread for some reason. But um, it's actually people that are quite fiery generally. They don't need more acid, and it's very
0: acidic. And you know, you're kind of slightly fiery haired. I've got a fiery beard. Scottish the beard man. has gone beyond prospector and is now North Atlantic whaler. That's the style I'm going for right now. What's the longest beard you've ever grown, Richard?
2: Uh, about as long as yours is now.
0: Never mind. You, I'm, I'm not very good at beards
2: because I... I they get prickly. And I...
0: You've got a nice black Mauser, though. You could do a proper Tash. I, I struggle. My my translucent
2: albino moustache is something that I can only look at yours with envy. Yeah, my dad's had a Tash for as long as I've known him. I think since he's in his 30s. Maybe that was a thing that men did in the 60s, grow Tashes. That's
0: Yeah.
2: It's coming back now. Neil is sporting a, a very strong... He's got be a yeah. beard. Yes.
1: Yeah. Still a bit patchy at the sides, still like not very thick at the sides. But um, yeah, it's quite long at the moment. And it does. I mean, we're talking about becoming an adult. I guess that's the thing. You know, that beardless it? boy
2: is a traditional thing. But
0: So Richard, did your dad, was it like Ian Rush, John Aldridge? Was it just the Mauser?
2: Yeah, he's always never had a beard. No, he's always oh. been. He was in the 70s. He used to get mistaken for uh, John Cleese or Sean Connery. A bit, not bad yeah so uh it's sort of that that sort of uh that look as it were and okay. the tash is coming back a little bit you see the odd tash yeah. here and there yeah definitely
0: was it was he a big magnum pi fan what was the motivation <laughs> for but sure i never asked him well, maybe that's what it's it not... was a lot of my uh, a lot of the, the dads in my primary school had had big Mausers. Maybe it was just it was just Tom Selleck's legacy. An entire generation of guys in their late twenties, thirties. I was going to say, how many of the kids in your primary school were fathers? <laughs> Scotland is stuff isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of mustaches, a lot, a lot of balding, and a lot of mustaches managed to dodge both those bullets. My kryptonite is plumbing,
1: and we've had a total disaster in the house. I mean. I was lying in bed on, I think it was on Saturday night or Sunday night. And I was thinking, life doesn't get much better than this. You know, sometimes everything in your life is going pretty well and, you know, it's quite smoothly. Maybe you've resolved some some issues that you've been facing. The Patreon
0: checks arrived. We're all rich.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we're doing well. All the subscribers. We've uh, been invited to Kiev as as honoured guests. And we got there. We got there. And, um, And I was thinking, but even however happy you are, something can come out of left field yeah. pipe will burst someone will get cancer something will happen you can never really be happy that was the thing that i i came to the conclusion i never be happy something will happen and literally the next morning <laughs> sunday morning i was tidying up the house doing a bit of you know sunday morning maintenance walk into my office where i usually record the podcast and there's a massive drip coming down from the ceiling from the light fitting fortunately avoiding the computer because that would have been really annoying um and just you know like the whole i don't i don't think it'd been too long but the whole carpet was kind of sodden and I say like, what do you do what do you do and yeah like my first instinct was like close my eyes and watch the Mandalorian or something like that <laughs> total escapism but you know somehow I managed to you know right bucket let's get a bucket like let's, let's get start. some towels and ring the doorbell of the woman upstairs and obviously she's not in you know i don't know if she's away for two weeks on holiday I, you know i'm stressed out at this point turn off her water there's like a way of accessing the flat water anyway you know eventually we got it sorted but things are still drying <laughs> and uh, the light probably i don't want to turn the light on just yet but yeah so that's my kryptonite plumbing <laughs>
0: I'd, it's funny, I'd have thought the other day, there's an old woman that lives in my building, and I'd convinced myself the other day that I hadn't seen her in a long time. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if she got the Rona. I wonder if she's dead. I wonder if she's a goner. Yeah, I've not seen her in months and months and months and months and months. And then today I walked past her. So it was either her ghost. Or it was her. <laughs> I've just realised it might have been a ghost. At the time, oh. I was like, oh, I was wrong about thinking she was dead. But now I'm like, oh, maybe it was the ghost.
2: A couple of months ago, my wife's uncle phoned me up, who lives just down the road, and said, oh, can you pop round? It's a, it's a bit of an emergency. And his son and his son-in-law live quite close as well. So the fact that so I'm getting the call means, okay, well, mm. he, he really is in a bind if he hasn't managed to get hold of them. So I've so nipped round quickly. And he's, again, plumbing emergency, sort of... Uh, there's a thing spraying everywhere it's been bleaking for months and it's sort of you can see it's leaking out to the kitchen floor all the rest but uh it involves sort of you know jamming some pipes back together and sort of yeah. screwing it in the right place I actually managed it for the once in my life <laughs> managed to do it so and that feeling of okay turn turn the water back on it turns the water back on and that moment of yeah nothing it's holding it's going in and I thought that was about the only time that I can ever remember resolving a plumbing emergency. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty good.
0: I was stunned how complex it was once when my, uh, once, you know, underneath my kitchen sink, it was leaking. And I thought I was just like putting bits of Lego together. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, washer here, this round bit here, screw it in like a bottle top, boom, this will stop leaking. God, it was pissing out for, for days. And I had to, you know, my landlord came to it, two, one look at
2: it, clicked his fingers, boom, stopped leaking what did i do wrong well i had one of my own house recently where and it's one of those i don't know if you guys have this where you it's a bit like when you bang your leg and it really hurts and mm-hmm. you look down and you want to see a big gash because it really hurts you want you want to justify the fact that it hurts so this case was sort of like those job like, well do i attempt this myself or do i get a plumber in and i ended up getting the plumber in he sort of sort of bowls in pretty cocky as they normally do like oh yeah what do you need new tap All right, yeah. Give me ten minutes, and then they sort of, uh, they sort of kind of sheepishly come out after about twenty minutes and say, you know, it's a bit trickier than I first thought. I'm gonna have to (laughs) get the tools here, so yeah, I'll be back in a couple of hours, type thing. And then they come back and it takes them like two more hours. And then on the one hand, you're thinking, all right, this is way more expensive than it would have been otherwise, but at least it was difficult. At least it wasn't some like tedious little thing that you could have done in thirty seconds.
0: If it was, or is he is he is he gaming you, Richard? You've been done. Yeah, oh look at this plumb yeah, it's going to take two minutes oh, I'm going to get this guy for four hours and a couple of bolts what an so.
2: shall we go down the pub and
0: uh, have a <laughs> yeah. down the lion and cake of a couple of pints?
2: yeah he was swaying as he came back in
0: <laughs> just breathed on it and it was fixed <laughs> yeah. what a mug that Dr Baker what a fucking mug <laughs> but yeah, that is it. To go back to the whole kidults theme, the, the day I struggled to fix that kitchen sink was a uh, oh, am I am I a child? Could I have figured that out? And then I thought about my own dad. It was like, nah, he'd have fucked that up as well. <laughs> no, that, was, that was genetic. We we don't know how to do this stuff.